me up some. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No, Deanna speak. That shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid Get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account and you then account it This episode is sponsored by Bees She is the creator of the Gifatize app And the author of the Financial Starter Kick book Bees works in the defense industry As an overseas contractor After years of studying financial literacy and investing, she is now financially free. The Financial Starter Kit comes with a free money allocation spreadsheet and gives you all the resources that you need to take control of your finances today. You can purchase the book at financialstarterkit.com. If you want to learn more about the defense industry and how to obtain a stable, high-paying career in the States or overseas, you can purchase her Defense Industry Guide at www.defenseindustry.guide. Also, for more information, you can follow her on Twitter at capital underscore SB. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. I got my co-host, D, with me. Hey, everybody. And today, we have uh, this is going to be another dope episode. We got another special guest. His name is uh, Antoine Martel. That's how you say it, correct? Yep. And uh, he's a real estate investor, a best-selling author, and the founder of Martel Turnkey. We uh, super appreciate that appreciative to have him on so welcome to the show bro absolutely thanks for having me on definitely man definitely uh just uh getting right to it so for the people who are not familiar with you do you mind just giving a little uh start background on yourself sure so name's Anton martel like you said been investing in real estate since i was 19 years old so about five six years ago uh is when i first got introduced to real estate investing my brother took me and my dad to like a real estate investing seminar Learned about flipping houses, apartment buildings, wholesaling, you name it. We learned about it. Um, very general and you know macro stuff about real estate investing. From there, uh, I went back to college to finish up college. My brother became a realtor and then my dad went back to work. And so over the next two years, I was like, I need to figure this shit out. I need to figure this real estate thing out and, and need to, I didn't want to go and like graduate and get a job with somebody else. I wanted to work for myself and do my own thing and start my own business. And I knew that that was going to be through real estate somehow. I just needed to figure out how the hell I was going to do it. Right. So <laughs> what I started doing was um, while I was in university, I started just networking my ass off in LA and started meeting people, learning how they were doing it, um, how they were investing, where they were investing. And many people in LA were investing out of state because it was just way more uh, affordable and they had the budget instead of investing in California and LA, which was super expensive. And so from there, I started doing my research on out of state, figured out that Memphis and Cleveland were two great markets. And then uh, took my dad, my dad had some money saved up like 40,000 bucks from just the stock market or a retirement account or something like that. And uh, used that 40,000 bucks to buy a house for 35 grand, renovated for five grand, and then did the you know whole burr process my senior year. And um, pulled the money back out, gave my dad his money back. And then I was like, hey, I can keep doing this after I graduate. Just let, you know, pay for my expenses or let me try to figure this thing out. Give me six months, but I want to grow the family portfolio. And he, he agreed to it. And um, luck, because he was already, he was, yeah. Luckily, he agreed to it. He kept paying my expenses for the next six months. I was like, give me six months or else I'll move back home. And uh, was able to figure it out. Graduated in May. And then by December, I think we had like eight to 10 single family homes in Memphis. So scaled up pretty quickly. And then 
that was in 2017 and now it's we're here in 2020 and I have a turnkey business, a wholesaling business, and I have a apartment buildings as well. We're doing about 120 homes a year with the single family homes, like single family home flips, wholesaling a couple deals a month. And then we have about a hundred units of apartments in Memphis, Tennessee as well. That's, that's a pretty dope man. Impressive. And I, and listening to that, it kind of reminded me like a, uh, of our story. Cause Deanna, she's from Cleveland and I'm from Chicago, but we live in, we live in California. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. what we started. We didn't start investing in Cali. It was like, it's super expensive. We started investing in other state as well. So hearing that is like, damn, the same, same thing here. And another thing, another thing that you said, I think is super dope. As you said, how, when you started your, your uh, father uh, was able to give you 40 grand. And I think this is so dope because I think a lot of people, they will hear that and they will be like, shit well i ain't got I man well that's i can't do that ain't nobody yeah. can't nobody he lucky he got 40k but it's like yo we know 40k is not a lot of money it sounds like a lot but like i seen somebody <laughs> recently i seen somebody recently like i said something about jeff bezos saying how like how he came up and stuff and somebody came and they was like well his father donated him 300 grand he's he ain't do nothing special i'm like bro if any, like, if you got 300 grand, I promise you, you wouldn't turn into a hundred billion or even, a, no. or even Hell probably, no. <laughs> or even probably a million. Like, let's be real. Like you can't, you can't never shit on people for, for having that, you know what I'm saying? Having that. Cause that's what we all want. We want to do that for our children. So yeah, I understood that. So that's, that's dope to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I mean, it's part of my story and I'm not trying to be like, Oh yeah. You know, didn't start with anything or didn't have any help. There's so many people that helped me get to where I am. Right. Including my dad who put that first bet on me and my work ethic that I was going to figure the thing out. Right. So, I mean, I wish I had a little bit different of a story where I had nothing and I had to go and like <laughs> raise that money from somebody on bigger pockets instead, or like, I wish it was different, but it was just, I think also there's a lot of people that might be listening that may, their parents may have money, but they don't want to take it too. So like, there's a lot of people that just have this thing, like, no, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. It's like, Man, I wish my dad was a billionaire or, a, you know, even a right. multimillionaire or had a million bucks to give me shit. I would turn that into a billion bucks real quick. Exactly. But uh, a lot of people just want to do it their own thing. I'm like, you got to leverage what you were born with and what you were given. And so if you have somebody that's that close to you willing to trust you with their money, I mean, I'm going to take that money all day long. Yeah. So go on more in um, detail with that first deal. So like you said, you were in California at the time in school. So for a lot of people, they um constantly ask questions, you know, how can I get into real estate and other markets that, you know, I'm not physically there. For, so for you, how did you find this particular property and go about getting that deal? Yeah. So finding them, the markets is the biggest thing. Um, and like choosing which market, because a lot of people just don't know where to start. And so I would say it really depends on your budget too. So how much capital you do have. And so with 40 grand, I was like, all right, where can I even buy a house for less than 50 grand or less than hundred grand? And you know, that knocks off a whole lot of markets already. Right. So now you're probably looking at 25 or 50 markets across the country. And then from there, I would look at, you know, population growth, job growth, the major employers who are the major employers. Do I think those major employers are going to be around for the long term? Um, then other things like, like crime rates and, and home values and median rents. And so just doing a lot of data research online and um, looking at what other investors were doing and what other investors were looking for when they were investing out of state. Um, collecting all that information, I think I did like 250 markets in the US and kind of took all that information and put it on a spreadsheet. And then from that spreadsheet on Google Sheets or Excel or whatever it was, then I kind of looked at that data that I'd collected and I was able to see like just from the data telling me not like because I I was born in Toronto and I moved right to San Francisco so I, I've never you know I didn't travel around or know anybody in any of these markets so I'm not even from this country so um, <laughs> uh, so just doing the doing the research completely unbiased without having anybody on the ground and so it was all just data driven and just doing my homework which you know I think a lot of people skip that that process yeah they do and I, I I seen you speak on how uh, you it took you two years to do your first deal. Like you was pretty much studying the game. And I was I wanted to ask you like what was the like why did your parents have the faith in you to give you that money? But then when I seen you say you studied the game for two years, I'm like, yep. Oh, that's that go the answer right there. That's why. Yeah, that's exactly why. And I think 
you know, like your parents are going to be, if they're going to be your investor, they're just like any other investor. So they might, um, they're still an investor and they're still investing in you, whether it's you going to college or you starting your own business and you need a little bit of startup capital. Right. So, uh, and I think that my parents kind of raised that in me at a young age where I would go to my dad and I would have to pitch him ideas or have a plan and he would, you know, grill me on certain shit in order to get 500 bucks. So I was kind of like growing up, I already went through the ringer. Um, right. like, Hey, I'm not going to give you 500 bucks unless you, you know, what's your, what about this? Did you think about this? And, yeah. you know, so then I wouldn't come to him with an idea unless I had fully thought it through or else I wasn't going to get the money. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's coming up with a plan and treating them like an actual investor. It is their hard earned money and stuff like that. You need to treat it as your own, even better than your own. And, um, yeah, coming up with a plan and putting in the work. And so, for those two years, it was not just me like working in a cave. It was me like working and learning and studying and networking and then going back to my dad or my parents. And cause I was far, you know, they were in San Francisco. I was in LA. So we were like six hours apart. And I was like, I would go on phone calls with them every day, every other day and be like, this is what I learned. This is what I tried. This is what didn't work. This is what did work. And so that imagine that for two years straight, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we went through that we tried that just didn't end up working. And, um, finally after two years, there was, you know, started to get some traction with something. And I think it was like our only, our like last resort kind of thing. It was like either this works or, you know, we're, there's nothing else that we can, we can try unless we have, you know, somebody with bigger pockets come knocking on our door. Something I like that you mentioned a lot is that you relied on networking heavily, um, getting started in your career. And, you know, a lot of people take it for granted because you can learn so much from just talking to people and hearing their experiences and getting their advice. So for you, what were the strategies or how did you go about networking and meeting people in your local area? Yeah, so Bigger Pockets was good for that, uh, of networking one-on-one. That's kind of how I started. So in college, um, I got like a Bigger Pockets like pro membership. And with that, you can go in like message, direct message, like people one-on-one. And so I would just type in my zip code and I would message people all day long. Hey, I'm a college student at LMU and I'm looking to invest in real estate. I saw you had some success. Like, can I come and meet up with you? I'm just trying to learn. And so I think that that college aspect kind of played an important role because people were like, oh, okay, it's just a kid trying to learn. Not like, you know, he's not much of a a risk or competition. So people would like, let me into see their projects. They would sit down and have a coffee and tell me everything because, you know, maybe they were looking for an intern or whatever. So um, people would like spill the beans just by going and asking people just straight up asking people and saying, Hey, I'm new to this. I just want to learn and hopefully I can give you something in return. And so that's what I started doing one-on-ones and then also going to meetups. So meetup.com. Well now with COVID, I don't know what's, what's going to happen, but, um, used to go to meetups all the time, like every week, a couple times a week, all across LA because LA is so massive. So I'm on the West side, but there's stuff on the east side, Long Beach, Orange County, and then in the Valley. And so there's like a ton of different networking events. So going to those networking events in the group setting to learn and then also meet people and like meet people who you actually wanted to meet. And then the the one-on-ones, just really just blasting people, getting people to go and have a coffee with me just to kind of pick their brain about how they got started, what they had when they started, and how they knew that out-of-state was you know the right thing to do or in-state or whatever the case may be. Hmm. And uh, I want to I want to talk about how you talk about turnkey a lot, turnkey properties, and that's something me and Deanna that's what we uh, prefer as well. We we love turnkey properties. But I want to ask you, uh, why is that? Do you and do you prefer them over properties that you have to rehab? So it depends on the person. So the thing is with Californians, a lot of them in order because in order to live in California, most of the time both you know both spouses need to work full time. And then also most of them have kids or dogs or, you know, doing something like that. So for that kind of demographic, which is the California demographic or New York or New Jersey. So very expensive markets where both people in a relationship or marriage need to be working full time. It's very hard to manage than an out of state renovation project. So for those people, the turnkey is the better route just due to the time factor because managing an out of state renovation with a full-time job and kids and after school and doing all that kind of stuff, it's going to be very difficult. I'm not saying you can't figure it out, but it's going to be very difficult and very time consuming for the amount of profit that you're actually going to make at the end of the day. 
especially with these out of state projects. I mean, the dollar figures are so small that you need to do a ton of these houses in order to make like substantial income to be able to quit and leave your job. Right. right. So um, that's why I, I prefer to push people when they're first starting into the turnkeys, they can at least get some cash flow and some money coming in the door. Once they have that money coming in the door from the turnkey rentals, then that cash flow that they're making every month can help them step away from their nine to five job a tiny bit to be able to maybe focus more. They'll have a property manager on the ground. They'll have an insurance company, a lender. So they'll have like pieces of their team already assembled. And um, it just helps with, uh, with getting started. And I think it's way less risk as well. A lot of people that, you know, come to us to buy turnkey rentals and then end up going and doing it themselves. Um, you know, a lot of the times they get burnt or the appraiser appraisal comes back bad. Like, you know, they thought it was going to appraise for 80 grand and appraise for 60 grand and now they're shit out of luck and they should have just bought a turnkey to begin with. So there's <laughs> a lot more risk. And then they never end up, the, the sad thing is they never up, never end up investing in real estate again because they got hit so hard with the out of state thing. And they're like, Oh, I'm only going to invest locally now. Yep. Like this, I just got screwed. And then it's like, well, you're never going to invest because good luck investing in LA with, you know, only 20 grand in the bank, you know, not going to happen. I'm yeah. able to tell you right now. And that, but that is true. Like I hear, I hear stories like that often of people having that bad experience that first time. And they're like, real estate, not for me. I'll, never again. Like, <laughs> you did one deal. It just didn't work out for you. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Um, you mentioned having, you know, the right people on your team. So especially being an out-of-state investor, can you just go for some of the key personnel um, you should be networking and connecting with? Yeah, so network, if you're investing out-of-state, then the networking aspect, um, oh, I guess you can still call it networking. So the key people on your team would be uh, property manager, realtor, uh, contractor, insurance person, lender. So those, those main people escrow too, if you get into the weeds of it. Um, the main person that I look for when I go to a new market is, and if I were to go to a new market would be a property management company. Um, most of these times, these people are like the hub that you're going to need and they have contractors, they have inspectors, they have lenders, escrow companies, like they've been in the business and hopefully you can find somebody that's been in the game for a while and born and raised in Cleveland or Akron or whatever. Right. Uh, most of the time, these people are already going to be very well connected and um, you can use them as your hub and then you can find your other team members uh, through that property management company. That's, that's facts right there. And uh, something you talk, something I've seen that you mentioned how you're doing 20, 120 flips a year now. And I'm like, wow. That's, 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 that's impressive right there. I just want you to talk about like how, because I know like we all start from somewhere. So I know you didn't start there. So how did you build that up? And what, like, what was the starting point? Yeah. So, um, it's all started with that one house in college that senior year. So bought it for, so the way that I scaled, it was bought it for 35 grand, rehabbed it for five grand cash out, refinance had, you know, got my dad's money back. Then I went to him and I said, Hey, I'll keep doing this. So with this 40, 50 grand that we had, we just kept turning that money over and over and over again until we hit 10 properties. And then the money was starting to run dry just cause like not every deal goes perfectly according to plan. So, you know, eventually, you know, you may not get all your cash out. You may get like, you know, half of it or whatever the case may be. So just with every project, the pool of cash we had got slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, but I was like, fuck, but I have a, property manager, contractor, a whole team on the ground, like everything is set up, ready to go. And at that same time, people started reaching out to me and they were like, Hey, you know, we see you grew your family's portfolio. We want you to do the same for us and, you know, friends and family friends and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, we can sell you a property in our portfolio instead of refinancing it. And you can buy it from us turnkey and we'll hook you up with, with everybody. We were going to hold it ourselves, but, but you can hold on to it instead and we'll help you get the financing. And so that's how the turnkey business started. And once I started to see like I had those buyers and I had the process, the only thing that I needed then was the money to be able to do more deals. And so that's again, when I went back to bigger pockets and networking events and just started networking again and saying, Hey, you know, I have a team on the ground in Memphis. We've done 10 projects, eight projects, and I have these buyers that want to buy turnkey rentals from me. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go, we'll buy this house. We'll rehab it, rent it out, put a property manager in place and then sell it. And you fund the deal talking to an investor, you fund the deal. I'll manage everything and let's split the profits 50, 50. And so that's how, that's how I started. 
Um, so now it was like raising money from people in LA to buy houses, to renovate them, to rent them out. And then I would turn around and sell it to a turnkey investor. And I'd split the profits 50, 50 with my, uh, investor. And that's kind of how I scaled up. Then now you have all the things you need. You have the money, the team, and you have the buyers on the back end. So now it was just about how fast could we go and how many you know deals could the team on the ground handle. And so over time, that number just scales up. Scales, scaled up. That's, that's crazy, man. And you talk, I know you talk about uh, scaling slowly, but scaling smartly as well. Yeah. So that's like, that's, that's, so would you consider that like, uh, well, to me, that's not slow at all. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's super fast. So like, what do you consider that? Yeah. I mean, I would consider it very fast as well. I think I scaled up very quickly, but when you're in the weeds day to day, like it doesn't seem like that fast. Like if you get up every single day and like, uh, you know, like I think people normally, hopefully people have like a to-do list or checklist. If you're doing like two or three things on your to-do list or checklist that are major like steps, not even major, just like little steps every single day. If you're doing that every single day, going from one house, you know, a month in 2017 to a, to 10 houses a month, a couple of years later is it doesn't, and when you're in the weeds day to day, it doesn't seem that crazy. Um, <laughs> but when, you know, looking back at it or looking back, you know, at the macro scale of it, I mean, it does seem pretty quick. I just think that people, sometimes people scale, scale too quickly. So, uh, and never pump the brake. So the thing mm -hmm. is we've pumped the brakes many times. Um, you know, just contractors get overwhelmed or uh, too many projects going or the buyers slow down and we need to figure out another sales strategy. So, you know, like I think just people are sometimes scared. Uh, you can't always just be on the gas, on the gas. And, you know, we've been able to scale like this while pumping the brakes in certain periods and for certain amounts of months. Um, like for right now, for COVID, like we were, we pumped the brakes on buying any, any home that's occupied because the courts are delayed by three months to get an eviction out. So mm -hmm. I don't want to buy something vacant and then the tenant stops paying and now I'm screwed for three months. Most of our projects are three months. So, you know, like, pumping the pumping the brakes on the on the occupied homes but putting the gas all the way down for the vacant property so it's always just like managing what's going on and if, you know especially with this going on with covid i mean something completely new that nobody could have ever thought of mm -hmm. and, and you like you want to say something yeah, i was gonna say uh you know speaking of covid um what negative long-term effects do you see of see it having on like the real estate industry and your business? And then what opportunities and advantages do you see coming? Yeah. So I don't think it's going to affect me and my um, industry all that bad. I think there's a couple of things that in the real estate industry that might get hit hard, maybe like hotels and hotel cleanliness. It just could be like way more expensive to like manage or run a hotel. And then Airbnbs, I think that whole industry is going to be kind of, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but there's a lot of people that owned Airbnbs or I know a couple of people who are like hundreds of thousand dollars in debt due to COVID because they're, they were relying on these Airbnbs and they had these expensive leases or expensive homes they bought to rent out. And now that whole client base is just completely wiped out um, or depleted. So I think those people are a little bit screwed more than I am. Hopefully they can figure something out. Um, opportunities. There's a ton of opportunities now. I mean, I was just thinking right before this that, you know, I should go and buy a bunch. Of, I should go and buy the occupied properties and just, just ask for huge price reductions because I think like a, they're probably not getting a ton of offers if you're buying like an occupied property right now, especially if they're like a non-paying tenant. So right. nobody wants to wait in line. So you might be able to get like a huge five or 10,000, which is you know, on a $40,000 house, you get five, 10,000 bucks off. It's a huge discount. And yeah. And so like, I was literally just thinking right before this, like, shit, this is actually could be a, an opportunity where we can go and make a bunch of offers on occupied houses that for non-paying tenants and just be like, Hey, we saw that their tenant hasn't paid. Like we're going to ask five grand off so that we can go through the eviction process, which is going to take three months. But, um, so there's a ton of opportunities. I think also with wholesaling, which, which we've been doing as well. Everybody's at home. Um, so cold calling and texting people, especially like everybody's working from home and all this kind of stuff or was a couple months ago. Um, I think it's a great opportunity where everybody is at home, especially if you're calling like landlines and stuff like that. Like people are going to be home every hour of the day, whereas normally you'd have to call at like weird times. Um, people are going to be home. 
And so I think that, you know, that could help, but it also could hurt because, um, you know, many people don't want to move right now because of COVID. So there's pros and cons to everything, but maybe you put it under contract and closing in three months when COVID is over, et cetera. So um, there's, a, there's a ton of different options, I think. And there's opportunities everywhere for every niche, I think. And speaking of wholesaling, I seen you. I seen you mention how you don't do any marketing, and I'm like, I'm like, whoa! I got like, ain't no way. I, I have to ask him this. So why is that though? So we we do do marketing, but that's for a different company. Okay. For that that meeting that you saw, which I, it was just, it's very hard to like make the title fucking like pop without it being like three sentences. And so the title of the video was, yeah, we don't do why we don't do any marketing, but it was actually a meeting for Martel turnkey. Okay, and I was talking okay. about why we don't like Martel turnkey doesn't do the marketing. We had, we started another business that, you know, to do marketing, to find houses that Martel turnkey would buy. But that meeting was just focused only on those people <laughs> at Martel turnkey. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm like, man, without doing marketing, you, <laughs> you the goat, man. But uh, so uh, what, I, I want to ask you something else too. I forget. Oh yeah, because you mentioned uh, the bird, the bird earlier. So I want yep. to ask you, and for the people that listen to this and they don't know what bird is, birds is buying, rehab, renting out, refinancing, and repeating. So I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's how I got started. I think that it maybe had, you know, got a little bit overhyped with everybody selling books and t-shirts right. with Burr on it. But, um, because I think that nobody's talking about the risks. So I even wrote an article that still gets a shitload of hits on martelturnkey.com. It's like the five risks that nobody thinks about, about the Burr strategy or something like that. And so the thing is that Burr is great if, <clears throat> but there's only the biggest thing is assuming everything goes well with the renovation, managing the project, finding the house, et cetera, you know, closing all that kind of stuff, finding a tenant, filling it, et cetera. Hopefully assuming all of that goes well, the biggest pain point, especially if somebody is banking on like the first deal to go like completely successful is the appraisals appraisals. You have nothing, no, no way to control it. Every lender has a different pool of appraisers that they're using you know, even though the, the lender we're using has a different appraiser almost every single time that we do these appraisals. And so, you know, you may think that, you know, the thing is worth 80 or whatever, 80, 90,000 bucks, but it comes back and appraises at 60 grand, which is how much you have in it. And then you're like, shit, what am I going to do now? Now you have to find another lender and pay more fees and, you know, keep doing the process. So it's just like, there are a lot of risks uh, involved. And I think people underestimate the time. And then also that you're like, your whole strategy is relying on one person's opinion of that property being worth the amount of money that you think it is. And you have to try to convince them of that. Cause if you don't have that, if you can't convince the appraiser that it's worth this due to the renovations you made, then you're complete, you're, you're screwed. That's true right there. <laughs> something, something else I wanted to ask you is, um, I have your book and all that. And it talks about investing for millennials. So or let's just say we have a couple who had a family home already and they want to invest in real estate. What would be the strategy you give them to get started? So they have a, say that again, they have a family home. Mm -hmm. They already own a house. They so already they, own a house. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where do they live? Let's just say California. <laughs> <laughs> so we usually say, you know, you can put the equity out of their house to get started and invest in, but what are some strategies you would give them to get started? Okay, how much cash do they have? Mm, that's a good question. Let's say, what would you say? Because, you know, people use, I would say people usually, will start. you talking about starting? People usually, they have, say, around like ten or 15,000. So let's say that, less than 20 grand, 15,000. Less than 20 grand. And they have, but they own a home in California? Mm-hmm. Does a home have any equity? Let's say it has equity. How much equity? Let's say 100,000. And do these people have W-2 <laughs> income? Yes, steady income. And credit scores over 700? Yes. All right, cool. See, there's a lot of other... Right, there's a lot of variables. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much like the average, you guys. Yeah, we hear average. that a lot. Yeah. They say, you know, yeah. we have a house already. We got good credit. We got yep. $1,000 saved. What can I do to get started? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's that's the perfect example of like what I would recommend somebody go and buy like a turnkey instead of doing a burr or flipping houses. First of all, you just 
So that's why I asked how much cash do you have? So like normally my breakdown is like, okay, if you have a hundred grand or more, then you have like all doors are pretty much open. You can do apartments, you can do with the birth strategy, you can flip houses, you can buy turnkey, you can do wholesaling. So you can do everything if you have over a hundred grand. If you have 50 to a hundred grand, then I would still recommend probably turnkeys. Uh, I would recommend flipping houses. You can't get into apartment buildings um, and you might be able to pull off a burst strategy, but you only got one, you got one bullet in the chamber. You got one shot to make it happen. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then, so norm, the normal person, like you said, that's kind of like my typical client, like 700 credit score, good W2 job, a little equity in the home, but maybe not enough to do all the bullshit to get it out. Um, and then normally like 20 to 30 grand. And so that's the kind of client that I would recommend to go and buy a turnkey rental just because they don't have the amount of capital to do all the other strategies, nor would I recommend it because you can go and use hard money and try to do a burr, but you're just like putting an extreme amount of risk now on that deal being successful because you have that super high interest and all the points and all that kind of stuff. And so for that person, I would probably recommend turnkeys just to get started, get your feet wet, get some experience. And then once you do that, then you can go and uh, pull the equity out of your home. Once you feel a little bit more comfortable, then you have a hundred grand to play with. Now you can be like, okay, now I have a team on the ground. I can do a burr. I can do whatever, whatever, a flip, et cetera. But you at least have the capital and you have, you know, one deal under your belt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. And uh, so I, I recently made a video on on Instagram. I talked about how I uh, turned 25000 to 100000 in a year. And then before we did the podcast, I was on your Instagram page and I seen the video you talked about how you turned 40,000 <laughs> to 11 million in two years. And I was like, oh shit. Well, shit. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit. So I just want to ask you, cause I know, I know when people hear this and they just hear that, just hear that alone. They're going to be like, what the fuck? Like, well, hold yeah. on, how, like how we do that? So do you mind just going into that? Yeah. So, Again, it was all the 40 grand that my dad lent me, right? And then now we have a portfolio. I think it was 11 million last year. I think we're at like 14 million now. So it's mostly just through the turnkey business, buying and selling those properties and doing a lot of them. You know, we've done over 200 of those projects now. And this year alone, we'll do 120. That's what our goal is. And we're on track to it. So using that capital, then go and buy apartment buildings. And so the apartment buildings, you know, you can you know, you can buy something. We bought like a building for, uh, like a million bucks, renovated it for 200 grand. And then now it's worth like two and a half million, you know? So that's like now in that equity of that building, you know, it's worth two and a half and the loan is 600 grand, you know, so it's like 2 million bucks in equity created, right. Just from that one, that one deal, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how you're able to, to cheat, to get those, those numbers up. But um, it was really, really through that, just like one deal at a time, then you can go and refinance that apartment building. You have capital back to then be able to go and do it again and again. Um, and also that, that post doesn't include the two years that it took me to actually buy that first product. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. I also feel like people often forget about that. They just want to, they see the results and just like think they forget that it's a lot of groundwork before all that shit can actually happen. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty important. And we have, and for the people who, uh, that's listening to this and we haven't mentioned it yet, how old are you? Uh, 25. 20, 25. And I just want people to, the reason I, the reason I ask that question is because a lot of times when we talk about like real estate or, or building wealth, it's like people will have goals, but they'll like delay it to like, uh, to 40 not to say there's anything wrong with that but it's just yeah because yeah. like, they believe like there's no way i'm gonna be able to get it in my 20s or early 30s there's no way and i like to tell people like like age is it's a saying age is a number but it truly is like you know what i'm saying if you stand busy stand with it grinding working anything is yeah. possible and people hear that they yeah. feel like it's a cliche but you will live an example that you're 25, man, and you're doing it on this level. So I just want the people to hear that so they can see, like, you know what I'm saying? It's possible. Yeah, <laughs> certainly is. No, no matter what age, I mean, shit, if you have, if you know, even if you're, you know, less than 18 and you have a parent who's willing to sign loan docs yeah. and closing docs for you, I mean, you can even make it happen then. And yeah, it's just about building the right people. You know, I was blessed to have my parents both trust me and trust the process and, 
right. even at my young of an age. And I was like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to try something and even if I completely fuck up, at least I'll still be 23. At least I'll still be 24. At least I'll still be 20. <laughs> I can always get a job after. So like after graduating, I was like, man, this is not, this is not the time to, you know, I live in a shoebox here in LA and I pay nothing for rent. Um, and so, uh, like it was as soon as the last year of graduating college, I was like, no, I got to take, I'm not going to apply for any jobs. I'm going to take, this is the, now the time to take like the most amount of risk. Worst case, what's the worst case scenario? I moved back in with my parents. It doesn't matter. 90% of people graduating college are, you know, living at their parents' house anyway. So I'm just going to be the same as the other 90%. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> man that's that's major man that's uh and i like i uh talk i pretty much talk about that a lot too like what you just said like how you just say you live in like a shoebox in la i always talk about like the the power and just stand down and stand ground even when you have that money not to you know what i'm saying just overdo it to feel like oh man it gotta match my lifestyle now because that's what fucks a lot of people up it's hard (laughs) yeah it's hard especially especially the kids who like i graduated college with and they like bright oh i got a really good job and then they got like they're making like 60 70 80 grand or whatever and then so they upgraded their lifestyle they got the mercedes the good apartment and then i'm like oh bro well you're making so much money how about you come invest with me we'll double it oh no dude i don't have any savings why not oh my apartment's super you know whatever like all my money goes to fucking living and i'm like oh good job buddy now you're gonna be stuck there forever Yeah, that's true, man. And the and the, like, man, the beauty of 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 starting early, and I can't stress this enough, is you have room for error, and there's so much room to take yep. those huge, huge risks. Like you're young, especially if you have no children, you can go all out because I mean, jobs will always be available. College yeah. education will always be there. You can always go back to that. So when you go those early twenties, it's it's super important that you take those risks because you got all like we said you can always bounce back man you are, yeah you know, yeah as long as yeah as long as you treat people right and like are transparent exactly. and you're doing good work like nobody's gonna blame me if you fuck up and but you were transparent you were with them the whole time you gave them updates and like there's there's people that are my age that have completely fucked up and they'll never be in the real estate industry again because they weren't transparent they were taking other people's money and like you know taking taking Peter's money to pay Paul and taking Paul's money to pay Susie. And they were, they were doing all this kind of shady shit behind. But as long as you're, you're managing your cash flow, you're being transparent, you're like talking to your clients and investors or whoever they are, even if you completely screw up, like for example, I think COVID is going to kill a lot of people, not kill a lot of people. It's going to ruin a lot of people's real estate investing in just like game. Uh, as long as they're transparent with their investors, nobody's going to blame them for COVID happening. Right. So it's all just about how you play it. And you can come back in the industry in a year or two and be like, hey, COVID messed me up and I lost everything two years ago because we, you know, we were like this, but you still have all that attention from all those investors and people. And as long as you're transparent that you did screw up and it wasn't your fault because of X, Y, and Z, um, I think you can come back into the game no matter what age you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true right there. And on that note, I think another thing people don't talk about enough is being ethical in this business because, you know, you hear so much shady stuff going on behind doors and people mm-hmm. taking advantage of um, especially like taking advantage of elderly people and just <laughs> selling off their houses and stuff like that. So I like that you brought that up because I think, especially with a new investor, that's one thing you should take the time to learn too, is how to be ethical in this business and have good business practices. Good business practices yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And also like just educating yourself, especially if you're managing other people's money, like learn how to manage money. And if you don't know, then bring in somebody on your team who does. And, um, you know, just asking questions constantly of those around you too. So like we're, you know, we built an entire system to manage all of our investors funds and we have QuickBooks that manages it. And so people can call me, Hey, where's my money? It's like, Oh, it's tied to this property. It's selling in three months or, you know, whatever. So yeah, just being, being transparent and, and keep asking questions and keep trying to make your system and process better. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of the, a lot of people who are in my shoes who you know, or doing a high volume flipping or wholesaling, just, you know, have issues with managing the financing aspect and uh, managing other people's money can get really, really difficult. And then, you know, you, you've messed up 150 grand transaction. Now you go raise 150 grand and then it kind of spirals out of control. And mm-hmm. so just making sure all your numbers and stuff are, are airtight is important. Mm-hmm. 
So and another question I want to ask you is, so now that you're buying 10 houses a month, and this is a common question that I, I know I get asked this all the time, especially with you buying so many, like, how are you finding these properties now? Like, how are you, how is that, uh, that, that process? Yeah. So MLS, uh, we're buying a lot through the MLS. We're buying a lot through, um, wholesalers and then off market listings, like pocket listings from realtors too. So the biggest thing is probably MLS. We're scraping it every day and making offers every single day on MLS. And that, and then, um, the pocket listings from realtors is a big one, but it's very hard to start there because nobody's going to trust you. So what we just over time, like after working with, you know, dozens of realtors and brokers across the country, then people start sending us deals kind of thing. And so that just took a little bit of time to get there, but those are great listings because we kind of get access to all these listings before they even hit the market. Exactly. I like that. And uh, another thing I want to ask is as far, as far as the metrics before you uh, go into the deal, what metrics specifically are you looking for to let you know, like, okay, I'm gonna make a move on this. Uh, yeah. So we look for a couple of things. We want like a couple different exit strategies. So one of them selling turnkey and making a good profit for us. One of them is burying it and holding it ourselves in case we can't sell a turnkey for whatever reason, we still run our numbers. Okay. If we can burr it, do the numbers still make sense? Um, and then also, you know, now that we've been wholesaling and stuff, does it make more sense to wholesale it or for Martel turnkey to buy it as well? So there's a couple of different things that we're always looking at those really three metrics and the annualized return that we always look for, which I get asked a lot is, is normally around 15% is what we look for on like an annualized return. And something I've seen you mention on Instagram is there's a lot of tax advantages associated with investing in real estate. So can you just go over some of those different advantages? <laughs> yeah. So what, you know, over the stock market, you get to write off a lot of things like depreciation, interest expense, um, those kinds of things. Um, some other advantages of real estate. Uh, yeah, really the, the tax write-offs and then just the financial leverage too that real estate gets you. So, you know, where's the stock market? You want to buy a thousand bucks worth of stock. You have to have a thousand bucks in your pocket. But if you want to buy, you know, a house for a thousand bucks, you know, the bank's going to lend you 80% of that. You just need to come up with the extra 20%. So there's a ton of of tax advantages over it. Um, You can also put things in LLCs and do different things like that to kind of protect yourself and protect your name as well, where stocks, you know, you can't do that and um, you can't do any of those paths through LLC entities or anything like that either. And I know this, this is another question that when people think about getting into real estate, especially when you talk about turnkey properties, they always ask this. This is probably the first question they asked. It was like dealing with tenants. Like, Oh man, they get, they, I guess they hear so many horror stories. They like, how do you, how do you deal with tenants? So I want to ask you for like, let's say a scenario, whether it's a, a bad tenant or maybe even a good tenant. Like how do you typically deal with your tenants? Yeah. So I don't deal with them at all. Never. <laughs> that's my favorite answer. Yeah. It's like uh, you hire a property management company who that's their job. And that's what their main thing is, is to handle the tenants. You don't want to deal with any of that bullshit. I mean, even if you, <laughs> even if you live right next door, I'd hire a property management company because I just don't even want to deal with it. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's why like house hacking, like a lot of people reach out to me, Oh, I want a house hack and blah, blah. I'm like, really? You want to manage three people that live, you know, to the left of you, to the right of you and above you. It's like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to do that. Um, so hiring a property manager that knows what the hell they're doing, their literal, literal job is to manage tenants. And so let them do that and let them do what they're best at. Yeah, I, I love that answer, man. Cause I, that's what, that's what I always tell people. I'm like, man, pay that five to 10%. And just going about your way, man, like that's going to save you so much time and headaches, not having it to deal, not having to deal with it yourself. Cause so many times yeah. people be like, like you just said, Oh yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll save some money and I'll be the problem. They've never done property management before. And they think, you know, they're getting to woke up at 2am about plumbing issues. Yeah. Yeah. I like, know. damn, I should never bought this property. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, like even our, uh, our property management companies, they have like, uh, they have like 24 seven maintenance call support lines. Like, Jesus Christ, how can you ever beat that? Like you're going to be the 24 hour maintenance support line. So that if something does explode, like, or they you know, the roof caves in and it's three in the morning because a tree fell on it. Like they, you know, they can call this 24 hour support line and they're going to handle it every hour of the day. Right. So 
it's just way, way better service for your customers too. So like the customers are going to, the, the tenants, sorry, are going to, you know, stay in the properties longer because they have that good support and good service from the property management company as well. Yeah. For your, for your deals, do you typically like uh, using your own capital or do you like using others? And if you do like using others, how are you raising capital, capital these days? Yeah. So we, uh, most of the time just always raise other people's money. It's just easier. And we normally just have a pool of investors funds and we just keep turning that money over and over. How we're raising it Two strategies. One of them is people lend us money. And so people lend us money at 12% interest rate. So they lend us 50 grand. We pay them 500 bucks a month for the length of the project and then give them their 50 grand back. So that's one way called private money lending. The other way is through joint ventures. So like the way I started, we still do that sometimes for certain projects. So people will fund the project, we'll manage everything and sell it. And then we'll split the profits 50, 50. And that can be a flip or, um, yeah, normally a flip or sometimes even a burr strategy and you just, just pay somebody out or hold the property long-term with that person. Are you doing uh, commercial as well or just residential? Yeah, commercial we are. This year we've kind of slowed down. COVID has kind of knocked out all the lenders that used to lend to us. So now we're looking at some larger apartment building projects because those lend, the bigger lenders are still there. The small ones, the small shops kind of got uh, out of, got pushed out of business. So we are looking at multifamily as well. The first couple of deals we funded ourselves, but over time we've kind of started to bring in other people's money just because we feel like we have a good system and process in place now. Are you a fan of seller financing? Do you feel like it's any cons to using it? Uh, if you can get the right terms, I think you can use it. I've just like, it's been a needle in the haystack. So like a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm looking for seller finance multifamily. I'm like, all right, I'll talk to you in 10 years when you find a deal like that. Like it's, uh, I've never come across it. I've every single apartment building deal. We always ask like, Oh, do they want to sell their finance? Just because our deals are kind of like weird price ranges, like sub a million bucks. It's kind of like a weird price range to get multifamily financing. So we always ask and nobody has ever said yes yet. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> he said nobody ever said yes to it. So, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. But uh so this is another thing when it comes to investing out of state. And then like I know when I tell people like I purchased a property that I've never seen, they're always like they they, they always just look like baffled as fuck. Their head explodes. Yeah, right. They're like, what? Like, why would you do like it makes no sense? So I'm pretty sure you get asked the same question for the people that's listening to this. And they, they hearing us talking about investing out of state and they still like, hold on, like, how am I going to do that? I'm in, I'm in uh, Florida. I'm going to buy a property in Memphis. Like how, yeah. you know what I mean? so do you mind just walking the people through, through that? Yeah. So my thing, like, especially for all my turnkey clients is like, why the hell would you want to walk through it anyways? And also if you were to walk <laughs> through it, what the hell would you notice? Like, you're not going to know shit anyways about what's working and what's not working anyway. So why don't you, if you went to Memphis and you were on the front doorstep, you're probably still going to hire a property inspector to come walk with you anyways. Exactly. And so, cause you don't know shit. So, you know, is this mold or is this, you know, grease from the stove? Like, you know, you're not gonna be able to tell the difference. And so you're going to hire the inspector anyway. Why don't you save your plane ticket and save all that expense? And why don't you just pay somebody to go walk it for you? They can take a video, take photos, come up with the whole report. That's going to be way better than anything you ever did. And then you pay them a couple hundred bucks. And now you can be in 10 places at once because you can have 10 different inspectors going through 10 different properties. You know, you're like scaling yourself. Um, you know, I, we've done 200 projects. I probably walked through 10 of them. You know, um, the other one, you know, 190 projects I've never seen. I've only seen photos of the when it's completely done. That's it. And so just hiring those inspectors. And then that's what I would recommend. There's no need for anybody um, who's not an inspector themselves to be able to fly across the country and, and do that kind of thing. Even if you are like an inspector in California and you have a house in Cleveland under contract, there's certain things that are normal in Cleveland houses that aren't normal in in California houses. So exactly. it may not even make sense for you to fly across the country, even if you are a damn inspector in, in California. I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. And I only have a, a couple more, a couple more questions. And one of them 
One of them was being so young, you're 25 years old. So I know people hear this and they probably, they like, man, this is not normal. So I want to ask you as far as drive and ambition and yeah. wanting to, to do this, like where does that come from? Uh, the drive and ambition probably just comes from my parents. And so like I kind of hinted at the beginning, just like starting, my parents were very like entrepreneurial and pro entrepreneurship and starting a business and failure and stuff like that. So growing up, my mom always had a business and my dad would always like, whenever I'd have an idea, he would always like pressure me to kind of do it. Like it was never like, Hey, I have this idea. I want to like buy these shoes from China and I'm going to sell them to kids at school. And he's like, okay, like what, when are you making the first order? Like, how can we test it and see if it's going to work? You know, like he was like involved and not like, Oh, that's shit's not ever going to work, which I bet, you know, a lot of parents would say to their kid. And then I'm never going to go to my dad again to give him another idea because this, this fucking guy always tells me that it's not going to work and I'm not going to waste my, my time and energy doing that. So it mostly just comes from my parents. And then also just like my dad's dream and parents dream has always been to like work for themselves and to start a business and to have a business that the family can work with. So like they never really wanted to work for anybody else. But since we came from Canada, my dad had to work a full-time job to get the citizenship and do all that kind of stuff. And then living in the Bay area, I mean, you can't even take a couple weeks off because you can't pay the damn bills because it's so damn expensive, even with both my parents working and uh, me going to private school and doing all this kind of stuff. So it was just way too damn expensive to, to stop working. And so he was kind of stuck. And so I was like, God damn it. All right. If he can put in 40 years of his time to move us, you know, to the, to the U S get a citizenship and he's working his ass off too. He was, he would wake up at like 6am to call, have a phone call with Ireland. And then he would go to, to the office and stay at the office until, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. And growing up, I didn't even see him cause he was flying around the country to work to, to keep us going. And so just the hustle comes, comes really from them and repaying them for 40 years. And I was like, shit, if I can, let me just bust my ass for a couple of years and let me see how far I can take it. And, um, and so that's kind of where the drive comes from and them being pro entrepreneurship and just seeing all the hustle that they've done for me to get us where we are today. It's just kind of repaying them for what they've done. And then also, you know, now I've accomplished that. Now both of them work for the you know, work at Martel Turnkey. So both of them have quit their jobs. Man. They they just moved to Hermosa Beach. We just got them a new house and stuff like that. So things are going well, um, going well so far. Just like I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but but it has. Man, that's amazing, man. I just want to say I salute you. Like when I hear stories like that, that shit just make me happy. I'm like, man, that's, <laughs> that's so dope, man. No, like seriously, man. Cause having having, like you said, having those supportive parents is everything. And for you to be able to do things for them back and, and pay them back, that's like so that's 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 amazing to me, bro. So that's that's definitely a salute to you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh with you with you doing with you doing over 200 deals, I want to ask you, what was your biggest challenge? If you could remember, if there, if there was one. Biggest challenge is probably just, again, the appraisals. It's just like the biggest challenge was finding a lender that would have a list of good appraisers that would go back out. Because when you're doing like 10 houses a month and half of them are bad appraisals, it's just so much goddamn headache. So like now we've gotten that number up to like 90% and maybe we're just running our comps better and like being more conservative. But like now, like one out of every 10 is a bad appraisal that we can go back at and fight a rebuttal or hire another appraiser. But like first starting, it was just like, you know, like the first 10 deals, like half of them appraise well. And I was like, fuck, this is not, this is not going to work. Like, how am I going to, how is this ever going to work if only half of the deals that I'm trying to sell, like actually appraise and I can sell. And so that was kind of the biggest challenge in starting and maybe the biggest, like, um, you know, biggest buzzkill for me was like, I had done all this work, got to the finish line. And then somebody goes and says, nah, I don't think so. And they, you know, give you a different value than what you thought it was. And you're like, man, I just spent, you know, two months getting this thing all buttoned up. And now you're telling me it's, you know, not worth anything. And so that was the biggest, the biggest challenge starting off. And, you know, if anybody's in that situation, I would just recommend just finding a new lender or, you know, working with your lender um, to come up with, you know, a better pool of appraisers or seeing if they have any wiggle room with that kind of thing. So that that same person doesn't go out. I mean, I've even filed like reports with this, the, 
real estate division of Cleveland about certain appraisers who were just like, you know, houses were supposed to appraise for 80 grand and they gave me an appraisal for 30 grand. And I've like literally written people up because they can't be, they can't be doing this kind of thing. It's completely killing the, the real estate market. If those actual appraisals are going through and, you know, we're out here trying to like make neighborhoods nicer, provide safe and clean and livable housing. And then some jackass is telling me the house is worth 30 grand when the last 10 houses appraised for 90. It's like, what the hell, man? You're totally, you're totally killing the, the entire cycle cycle of real estate, especially in these neighborhoods that we're trying to go and personally renovate and make nicer and clean and, and safe and putting that on the, out on the market. And then some guy's opinion is completely killing that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And this uh, this is my last question. It's, it's like a it's a two part question. So it was what's you you're 25. So what's the what's the goal? What's the long term goal here? Like, do you got a specific number of doors you want or anything like that? Yeah, uh, I think 10,000 doors was kind of my my goal. 10,000 doors in the family portfolio, uh, where we're the majority owner of. So a lot of other people say uh, 10,000 doors, but they just mean they invest in a syndication or something. Right, right. But um. Yeah, 10,000 doors, we're on the majority owner, which right now we have 100. So I just got a 10x what I've, or 100x what I got. 100x what I got. So, but I've got plenty of time. That's a lifetime kind of long term goal. And I got plenty of time to, to be able to do that. So that's a long term goal, long term vision. Just the cash flow. Like, I don't really care about, you know, having the net worth bullshit or like having 20 million bucks in the bank. I could never see myself sitting with that much money, anyways. But, um, <laughs> just like sitting there. Right. Um, but just like the cash flow. like imagine if you had 10,000 doors, each of them cash flow, a hundred bucks a month. I mean, you're making a hundred grand a month. You're, you're good forever. Yep. That's true. Yep. Right there. And then the last, the last one was, uh, what would be, what would be your piece of advice to someone that was in that position you was in 18, 19, 20, and they thinking about real estate, they really pondering on it, but they haven't took the steps yet. So what, what would be your advice to them? Yeah. Great question. So, First of all, it'd be to learn as much as you possibly can. Listen to podcasts like this all day long. There's a ton of other podcasts too. I have a podcast. You can go listen to that. But uh, listen to podcasts like this all day long. Learn how people who were 18, 19, 20 got started. Collect all of that information because there's a ton of stories like that too. And um, who went into different things. Maybe they started wholesaling or doing whatever, but who started early and young and learn how they did it, how they became successful, et cetera. And, um, then what I would do is just start networking as well. Going to these networking events, you're going to be the youngest person in the room by far. And, uh, people are going to like that and they're going to love your hustle and your drive. And you just need to get out there and, you know, start networking, um, and just start putting a face to the name and just build a relationship with these people with no like goal in mind of what you're going to get out of it or anything like that. Just learn, learn, learn. Um, then eventually once you think you've learned enough, and you like, there's a strategy you think you might be able to work. Like then you can go back to those people that you have network with and be like, okay, you know, Bill has 20 grand, you know, Stephanie has 50 grand. And I think we can do this. And I already, you know, met this person in Memphis who can help me with X, Y, and Z. And so just networking and just learning. Cause that, and I would do that for two years straight, just like I did. And uh, I think you have to put in the time. That's the only way to get there. Cause there's a lot of people out there who, you know, are flipping houses on Instagram, you know, showing it on Instagram or whatever. And, you know, you have them on a podcast or you DM them or whatever, and you can tell that they just haven't put in the time and they, you know, they have some mentor, somebody, somebody's helping them and something's not right. Um, Cause they're, they'll answer questions in weird ways or you ask, <laughs> Oh, what website did you use? And then they'll never reply. And so, yeah, there's a, I would just put in the time because it's, it's noticeable to the people who are actually in the game. Mm, that's heavy right there. I like that. Yeah. That's, true. <laughs> that's true. And before we let you go, do you mind just plugging in all your stuff where people can find you, follow you, listen to your podcast, everything? Absolutely. Yeah. So best place to follow me is probably Instagram at Martel Antoine. If you guys are interested in turnkey or just want to like see what we do and how we set it up, martelturnkey.com. Uh, and then also on my Instagram, there's a link to like my podcast, my book, the website, uh, just in the bio, there's a link to everything. And, and yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it was a great, great episode. I think. Thank, thank you, man. Appreciate, appreciate you for coming on. This is uh, valuable. I think the listeners going to be able to take a lot away from this. So we definitely appreciate that, man. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, good luck to you, bro. We'll, we'll definitely be keeping in touch with you. Let's do it. Thank you.
All right. Well, that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. And uh, going out, D, what's your info? You can follow me on Twitter at Deanna S. Kent and Instagram at Deanna Kent or Park Hill Capital. Yeah, but you can guys find me at Xavier C. Miller on Twitter, Instagram, everything. And that's all we have for you guys. Appreciate you guys for this episode. See you guys next episode. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary Still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments And sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people, if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit trying to learn some game xavier gonna talk about it no diana speak that sh- that everybody vouching ain't no more excuses valid get up off the couch and get up in your bag to your bank account need an accountant